Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Well, it's finally here. Bucks rookies report to minicamp today. The full squad reports on Wednesday, and the first practice is Thursday. So, what are some of the most pressing questions entering training camp? Well, no surprise, they begin with Jameis Winston. How will Dirk Cutter prepare two quarterbacks with Winston suspended for the first three regular season games? We'll tell you how he might do it. And Daniel Robertson did something Sunday the Rays have never done before. He walked it off with a grand slam with one out in the ninth inning to give the Rays a win over the Marlins. And at one point Sunday, Tiger Woods had the lead all by himself in the Open Championship in Scotland. Then he went bogey, double bogey, but still had his best finish in a major in some time. Italian Francisco Molinari captures the Claret Jug with an 8-under-276 on a day when there was a lot of chaos at Karnuski, which was Karnaski, uh, in the wind on Sunday. And we've got lots to talk about with the NFL. All that and more on this Monday edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Burstink. Before we get started, I have to tell you about a special offer just for our listeners at Continental Wholesale Diamonds. You won't believe this. Make your anniversary, your engagement, or any special occasion even more breathtaking now at Continental Wholesale Diamonds with a minimum purchase of just $2,000. You're going to also receive a five-day, four-night cruise for two to the Caribbean on us. Now get this. It includes your choice of cruise line and destination to the Caribbean. You get to enjoy Las Vegas-style entertainment and fine dining. Make sure you let Andy know you've heard it from Rick and Steve at Sports Day Tampa Bay. So dazzle the one you love with diamonds, then enjoy an ocean adventure cruise on Continental Wholesale. It's just one of the sunny getaways, so you get all the details now from any Continental Wholesale diamonds. And remember, don't waste your time shopping in the mall. They've got the huge overhead, which means a higher price for you. Continental Wholesale Diamonds provides you with an exquisite jewelry selection, one-on-one customer service, always at wholesale prices, and they're easy on the pocketbook. And best of all, there's no pressure. So go see our friend Annie at Continental Wholesale Diamonds. He's going to pour you a nice scotch. He's going to help you find the perfect diamond for your loved one. And you get the five-day, four-night cruise for two through the Caribbean on Continental Wholesale. It's Continental Wholesale Diamonds. That's where I shop. They're at 1715 Northwest Shore Boulevard, Suite 150. That's right next to the Penthouse Club. All right, Steve, my long vacation has ended, and this is the time that so many have waited for, including me to some degree. NFL season is here. The Bucks rookies are reporting to minicamp today. They will be there a couple days uh, and get some, I guess, orientation or reorientation, if you will. And then it's time for the full squad on Wednesday. And then the first practice at One Buck Place is Thursday. Can you believe it? We are back to the NFL season. Football is back. It is good. Uh, pros are getting ready now. Colleges are going to get set to start their uh, their uh, preseason workouts and stuff in the next two weeks. Uh, football's back. Labor Day weekend starts college. NFL's the weekend after. Let's go. I'm ready for it. I mean, I think most people are. I, you know, I'm not a big fan of mini camp or training camp. Obviously, I think the preseason has its role. But this year, this year for the Bucks, this is going to be one interesting uh, preseason. It's going to be an interesting year, um, of course. You know, overall, but. The story going into it, you know, first day when we get a chance to talk to Dirk Cutter, 
Um, I would imagine Jameis Winston might be available at some point on Wednesday. Uh, it's going to start there, and, and, and it may finish there with Jameis uh, speaking at, in, at some level or being asked anyway about his suspension. I know he had the statement. I fully expect him to refer to the statement. I don't expect him to get into any detail about anything um, except to say he's moving on and he's focused on getting better, as he's always said. And I also would think that the coaches and the players will circle the wagons. Um, I wrote about this on Sunday in the Tampa Bay Times, but basically I think you're going to get a whole lot of nothing if you're expecting any more to come out of uh, what, what transpired you know, this summer with respect to the suspension uh, because it's just probably not going to happen. Now, the one thing that um, you, know, you can't just say it's not going to affect them from day one because I think it's going to affect them every day until he comes back against Chicago September 30th and then maybe beyond that. Um, but we do know that at, at the very minimum – they're going to have to decide sort of how to work these two quarterbacks and prepare two quarterbacks because we know Jameis is uh, after preseason is going to have to go away for three games and will miss nearly four weeks if you include practices and things like that. Um, And we know that they have to prepare Ryan Fitzpatrick, who, you know, at 35 might not need as much time to get ready in some aspects, in some respect, but he's still, you know, a guy that you want playing his best football when the regular season starts at New Orleans on September, uh, what is it, September 9th, I believe. So um, there's really no perfect way to do this, and we'll talk to Dirk Cutter about that, I'm sure, on Wednesday. Um, whether he'll give us specifics or not, I don't know. But that you can bet that they have a plan. I, I've talked to some coaches, and they think that they'll get updated today when they get back in the building for good. But um, the only, really the only template there is, the only thing that we can most recently grab onto as a possibility is what – happened with you know Tom Brady when he was suspended in 2016 for four games. Um, now, the one thing I'll say about Tom Brady is he is and was in 2016 in a totally different place than Jameis Winston, not just in terms of his experience, but also his familiarity with the system, um, the players that were around him, and, and his accomplishments. I mean, um, you know, he already had four Super Bowl wins by then. Uh, and, and the thing about Belichick is that he's always been a guy – um, even going back, you know, many years ago, who was a big believer in the value of joint practices, and the Patriots always make sure they do that. The Bucks are doing that this year, the second week of the preseason. They go to Tennessee early, and then they play the Titans up there in Nashville. So Belichick was really fond of, of Brady getting a lot of work uh, in those joint practices because a couple things. One, you're, you're not seeing your offense, right, or your defense, you know, there's a lot of repetition, a lot of familiarity when you go into training camp. The, you know, the defense tends to cheat. They recognize formations. They recognize signal calls, all those things. They see you every day. And so you don't always get a clear picture. When, when you play, um, you know, another team in practice, it, it's usually against a different defense, maybe a different scheme. Certainly you can't control the scripting all that well except on your side of the ball. So I, I think it's more of a picture. And your quarterback can't get hit. You know, there's no contact, so you don't have the the fear of injury. Um, but also a couple of years ago when Brady did this, he had sliced his finger, if you recall, in a pair of cutters that season. So that held him out of the first preseason game, preseason game altogether. But here's how they broke that down um, just real quickly to, to refresh people's mind. You know, they had Jimmy Garoppolo, who was their backup at the time, and he started and, and played, you know, the first half of, of the, the first preseason game. Then they brought in – Jacoby Brissett, who was their number three at the time, and he started the third quarter and finished the game. That was preseason game week one. Uh, in the second game, Brady sat out again. 
with the finger injury. Garoppolo started. He played the first half and then one series into the third quarter. When they went to the third preseason game, normally that's the one where your starter is going to play the most. And so I would think that, you know, there's a really good likelihood that you'll see Ryan Fitzpatrick play most of that game and then maybe into the third quarter. And that's usually what happens with whoever the starter is. Um, again, you know, with the Patriots, it was uh, Garoppolo who uh, finished most of the first half. Um, and uh, he was actually, he started the game, he was done after a couple series, then Brady played most of the first half, then Garoppolo finished it with a two-minute drive and then returned for a series in the third quarter. And then the fourth game, usually your starters don't play at all. And so in this scenario, you know, if, if Jameis Winston's going away for three weeks, uh, really four if you can include, include practice, it's the last chance for him to get something, right, some kind of, of, of rhythm and something to, to uh, you know, to try to stay – to bring into his three-game suspension. Um, but then, you know, you want to protect, you know, your quarterback. Uh, the, what the Patriots did was they wound up uh, sitting Garoppolo out the entire game because he was going to have to be their starter. And that's what I could see potentially what the Bucks would do. And Brady wound up playing the first half. So, you, you know, you might have a situation where Winston plays a little bit more than he ever would uh, in, a, in a fourth preseason game. And so, you know, the snaps were what they were. They were broken down. Garoppolo got the most of it, and then Brissett, and then Brady. But part of that, again, was because of the injury. Um, but well, I think what's going to be interesting, and you brought up, you know, obviously Brady is a much more experienced quarterback than Jameis Winston. And yes. you know, had been in the offense and with those players for a long time. But the other part of it is, is Fitzpatrick's a much more seasoned backup than Garoppolo, who had never started a game at that point. True. So Garoppolo, you know, it's going to be interesting. I mean, I think I think the the Patriots what they did is a good model for the Bucks, but I don't think, you know, not it only is the exactly Brady Winston like comparisons not apples to apples, but Fitzpatrick to Garoppolo isn't either. Garoppolo, where yeah. Fitzpatrick may not need as much to get up and running, where Garoppolo you wanted to get even more snaps because he had never started a game before. Now, if Ryan Griffin's going to be your guy going into game one, it's it, it, that's a better comparison to Garoppolo as far as apples to apples. Now, right, you know. So Although Garoppolo I, I, had played, he had not started. But in yeah. this case, Griffin has not played Correct. at all. But I don't, I don't know that the Bucks. I mean, I would have said normally that that Griffin could compete for the backup job with his Fitzpatrick, who has just a one-year deal and is thirty-five. I just think that the suspension forces their hand to to almost declare Fitzpatrick their their starter. Yes. Um, in lieu of in Winston, I don't think there's a tryout available. You simply can't get that many reps for Ryan Griffin. Now, if Fitzpatrick, if, if Fitzpatrick struggles in the first wobbles, three games. Yeah, Griffin he may wobbles, become he may become the backup the rest of the season behind Winston. True, that's that's a that's definitely a, a possibility. But I still can't paint a scenario short of injury where Griffin, a guy who has never played, winds up starting Week One at New Orleans. I just think it'll take an injury for that to happen. Yep. So you can't get him many reps. But um, you're right; both those guys are in different spots. Obviously, Winston not as experienced as Brady, doesn't have the stripe, the crack, you know, the record, and then. And then Fitzpatrick is a guy that's had a lot of experience, knows how to start a season, knows how to come off the bench, did it last year. Um, so that's a storyline. You know, that's and how something much, that. How much does having a new center affect this, too? Um, a little it's bit. It's not a huge deal, but it's still. Last year was yeah. Ali Marpet snapping to both these guys. Now you've got a new center that neither of these guys are familiar with. Yeah, and they both need work with them. And, um, you know, that's not going to be always easy. The other thing I think about is that, you know, usually when you're starter, starting quarterbacks out there, that means the starting offensive line's out there. So if Fitzpatrick is playing 
you know, whenever those games are that he's playing a lot, he'll need the starting offensive line. But then when you bring in Winston, are you going to subject him to, you know, a guy that may not make the team playing left tackle or guard or center? I mean, it's it's really going to be difficult. You might have a scenario where you're going to have to play your starting offensive lineman a lot more than you want to. And we've seen guys like DeMar Dotson get hurt in preseason before. Um, you wouldn't want to lose Donovan Smith. You wouldn't want to lose any of those guys. And yet, do you really want to put Winston back there um, you know, with anybody that's not going to make the football team that you don't think can hold up. So that, well, isn't that's that how also, Ryan Griffin got hurt last year in the preseason? So exactly what happened. He, he was playing lights out. It looked like he could even take the job maybe with a good preseason from Fitzpatrick. And then he went out there uh, with a guy that I'm sure, you know, has a good job at UPS or something right now and, and got cut. In fact, after he did the Matador block and Griffin wound up with a shoulder injury. So you know, that's that's what's problematic about this is that you don't want either quarterback necessarily going out there with a less than competent offensive line. And that's what's going to be hard is that um, I know they, they, they like their line, they like some of the guys behind their starters, but it's just simply not the same. So this quarterback thing and how they work it and what they do um, and how they perform is is obviously going to be something throughout the year, but definitely – something that we will watch every day uh, in training camp. There's a couple other things that um, I had mentioned uh, in the column that I just kind of will go over. And, um, you know, as you go through training camp, these are things that we will, we will kind of discover. But who's going to be the starting running back? It really doesn't matter, I think, because they're all going to play. Um, I definitely think that Ronald Jones will wind up being that guy, but he's not in position really right now to be a, th- a third down back, a three down back. Um, because you have a lot to learn in the passing game and pass protection. Um, I still think he's going to wind up at the end of the year getting the bulk of the carries. Um, but but we know that Peyton Barber had a good second half. He's a competent inside rusher. Um, and then you have guys that can come off the bench on third down and do a credible job, whether it's Charles Sims or Jacquez Rogers. A name to watch is Sean Wilson, the rookie, um, is somebody that they really like that can also catch the ball out of the backfield. I think he's going to be somebody to watch. Um, so I don't know exactly how the breakdown will be, but I would, if I were a fantasy player, I'd be, pre- I'd feel pretty good about Ronald Jones at the end of the year, getting the bulk of the carries. Another uh, question that, uh, has to be answered is, is, you know, they have a lot of receivers. We know they got a lot of targets, a lot of weapons, but Deshaun Jackson last year, who had only 50 catches is coming back and his chemistry with Winston and now Fitzpatrick, uh, is something that has to step up. It has to be better. Uh, but I can't get over the job that Chris Godwin did uh, in the offseason and how, you know, Todd Monk and their offensive coordinator said he thinks he he's, has the quality of being a number one receiver in this league. He made plays every day. Um, I, You know, just from the naked eye, it seemed as though Deshaun Jackson was playing a lot more in the slot. They were playing when they went to three wide. They were playing Godwin a lot outside. So I don't know how it's going to break down. I mean, obviously Jackson and Mike Evans would figure to be the starters – um, but I think you're going to see a rotation where Godwin plays a whole heck of a lot more than he did last year. On defense, we've talked about the defensive line. The question is just how are they going to rotate all those guys? I mean, you have McCoy and Jason Pierre-Paul. You figure they're locks to be starters. Um, but then after that, is it, you know, Bo Allen? Does he get the first bite of the apple? Or is it going to be Via Vea at defensive tackle? Are they going to use Benny Curry uh, on the other defensive end job? Or is William Golston going to reemerge? having lost 15 pounds and try to play better than he did last year. And then you still have a guy like Noah Spence who's going to factor in there somewhere, although I think he's going to wind up being kind of a designated 
pass rusher uh, as much as anything else. And then finally, um, one of the things I've discussed about the offseason is they got to figure out who's going to be the third corner. I mean, right now, Vernon Hargraves is hanging on to that starting right cornerback spot, but uh, and when they go to the sub package and, and teams go three wide, he's moving inside either either way, um, which means you need another defensive back. And so it's really been a battle between Carlton Davis, the rookie from Auburn, who got off to a really fast start in the offseason. He's 6'1". He gives him some length. Um, but then you have MJ Stewart uh, from North Carolina who really came on late and, and made a big challenge. There are a lot of questions. These are just some of the premier ones that we'll be watching when the Bucks, uh, you know, take the field, of course, uh, on Thursday with their first practice. Uh, and there's there's other things that are going to happen in the offseason. I think you'll see the Bucks, you know, uh, try as best they can to, to lock up some of their core players that are about to become free agents, uh, starting with maybe Ali Marpet and Quan Alexander, maybe Donovan Smith. Those guys are, are all guys that uh, – you know that they would like to you know sign to long-term deals. It may not happen early in training camp. Maybe maybe closer to the start of the regular season. Um, but you know those talks will be will be ongoing. So um, I you know I'm ready. I mean the great thing about training camp is that football is here, and we're going to have lots of interviews, and um, it's certainly going to be something uh, that you want to stay tuned for on this podcast because uh, it, it it just takes on a life of its own. There's going to be injuries. There's going to be big stories. And we'll be here to take them and bring them all to you. So speaking of the Bucks, uh, Mike Evans making some news on a couple fronts over the weekend. It got a lot of reaction on Twitter and elsewhere. Elsewhere, If you remember, um, there's been more talk, of course, of late about the NFL's policy on standing or not standing for the national anthem. And now there's a, uh, you know, sort of a, a negotiation. It's back to the NFL and the Players Association um, kind of, trying to come up with some new rules. They've agreed that they nobody can. will be suspended, nothing will happen while they negotiate over the next few weeks. Yeah, next several weeks. And then on Friday night, uh, President Donald Trump went after the NFL saying that uh, the $40 million commissioner, Roger Goodell, must now take a stand. Trump's uh, suggestion was first time kneeling out for the game, second time kneeling out for the season with no pay. Um, so Mike Evans, who has never been one um, that has – been shy to voice his disapproval of Donald Trump. Remember, he uh, came out uh, against him, and um, I believe I believe he was protesting his election at the time to begin with. Um, but he tweeted in response to all of this. He tweeted, I guess, at Donald Trump, "quote You mad at the U- you mad the USFL didn't work out?" And of course, Trump at one point owned the New Jersey Devil or New Jersey Generals, um, wanted to take the USFL into the fall, and that led to the demise of the USFL, which was, you know, basically essentially disbanded. They won a $1 settlement against the NFL, but uh, that pretty much, uh, you know, cost them. And so, you know, that tweet had a ton of reaction, uh, a thousand retweets, nearly 5,000 likes. uh, And it was really sort of Evans is, you know, kind of revisiting this issue that, that he had back in 2016 if you remember, he also protested with Deshaun Jackson last last year, week three, at Minnesota um, after you know Trump had called NFL players SOBs. So that got a whole lot of reaction. And look, we're a long way from from the league settling, uh, you know, this this national anthem debate, if you will. And 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 I think, you know, at one point, I mean, I think the league made a a, a bad decision saying it was up to the teams because, you know, the Miami Dolphins came out and said that they would suspend a player for four games. Um, you know, if they didn't 
adhered to their national anthem policy and 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 stood for the national anthem. Um, and so this this led to the league and the, and the NFLPA saying, wait, 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 let's 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 you know put a hold on all these ideas, and we're going to try to get together now and and come up with a better policy, which they definitely need. But that wasn't the only thing um, that Mike Evans was sort of in the news for. Although I guess I can stop there and just say, you know, Steve, I mean, is this does this surprise you that Evans would be a guy that would revisit this with Trump? Not at all, and it doesn't surprise me. Trump made the statement he said. And the NFL owners have continued to keep this story in the news by their failure to address anything, really. I mean, the policy they came out with without the players backing and that, I mean, they're, they're, just, they're prolonging it themselves. I don't understand. They really that. are. Yeah, they really are. And they want the focus back on the field, but they don't know how to get there. So maybe with the help of the players, they can come up with something. That- Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. That's, um, you know that's better than what what they had so far that, that like you said really didn't address the issue. So then the other thing that that Mike Evans did, which was kind of neat actually, um, is that he made an eleven thousand dollar donation to a family of a man that was shot and killed by sheriff's deputies in Florida back in two thousand um, and fourteen. And what made this in the news was that uh, the jury had uh, there had been a you know a wrongful death trial, I guess and. The jury ruled in favor of the police, but awarded the family four dollars. And so, Mike Evans tweeted, "Is there a GoFundMe or donation page for the family?" And he asked that on Twitter um, for the family of Gregory Hill, who had been who had been shot. Uh, and then he stepped up and made a donation of uh, eleven thousand dollars. And so, uh, those donations, uh, as of I guess a day or so ago, were up to uh, close to a hundred thousand dollars. So. I thought, you know, that look, Mike does things like this. They're not always for publicity. They always don't get publicized, but he does have his his foundation. So he's, he's in now the business of helping people. Uh, so it was great that he could do that. One of the worst takes I saw, though, Steve, on Twitter was somebody actually giving Mike Evans some kind of grief for this because he calculated, okay, you know, Evans signed a uh, a huge deal. It was a five-year extension for $82 million, uh over the spring. And so he calculated, okay, this is like, here's the percentage that $11,000 you know, would be, and that would be like the normal person giving this or that. I just, I thought it was horrible. I mean, what's the point? I mean, he didn't have to do anything, okay? Um, that $11,000 is still eleven grand to that family. He's helping them out and probably will inspire others because he donated, others in the league, others, other Bucks fans, other people that, that he can reach by Twitter. Um, to help this family out. So I, I don't understand why people throw shade at players just to do it. You know what I mean? Just to troll them like that. Well, the whole point, is, I mean, you know, and I think he said it, you know, based on the $18 million salary that Mike Evans is making this year, that that equates to $66 for a guy making $100,000 a year. Well, it doesn't mean that Mike Evans is only giving $11,000 to charity. And quite frankly, you don't have to give anything for these kind of causes. He's choosing to. 
But you don't have to put all your money. I mean, every every donation you give doesn't have to be ten percent of your income. No, I mean, I mean that's the whole point of this is that you know he's stepping up and putting his money where he believes it needs to go and deserves to go, and and he should be applauded for that. Now, if you want to disagree who he's given money to, that's a different story. But the yeah, fact maybe, that you're going to complain that's... that he's given eleven thousand dollars to this family based on the fact that that's only sixty six bucks based on a hundred thousand dollar annual income for you know Joe Blow. To me, that's that's an that's not even an argument. First of all, I'd say, okay, um, Twitter guy, how much money did you give the family? Um, and then the answer is probably zero. Um, but 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 secondly, like I said, no matter who the no matter who it comes from, and certainly guys that make a lot of money are in a position to help a lot of people. Um, but eleven thousand dollars to that family it means the same eleven thousand from anyone. You know, in other words, the value of the donation is any different just because it came from a guy who has millions of dollars. I just don't understand, you know, and plus, you know, by helping him and the number of followers he has, um, you know, that, that will lead to more donations and more people, um, Bucks fans or whoever he reaches, whoever Mike reaches uh, across the country, fans of his, uh, he'll bring awareness to this family that's in need. So I, I just think it's it's petty. I think, you know, people get carried away on Twitter. Twitter has so many bad things about it. I can't even get started, but um certainly it's also it's also something that you can use to inspire and I think that's what Mike's attempt was here. So, you may be on you may you may disagree with him on on the issues that he's addressing um and maybe think that he shouldn't have contributed to this guy or he shouldn't say anything about the anthem. That's fine if you don't agree with him politically. Um, but we always talk about athletes, you know, why don't they help people? Why don't they do positive things? Why don't they do things in the community? And this is a guy, uh, like I said, who, who didn't have to, but started a foundation a year ago. Uh, and he has, he has helped people and he'll continue to do that. So, um, I like Mike, I know Mike very well. Um, he has a, he has a good heart, a good family. And, um, I think he's, I think, think he's trying to do the right thing here. So, Steve, overall, kind of a rough weekend for the Rays. I mean, for whatever reason, they get they get beat up by the uh, Marlins. They certainly lost the Citrus Series. The Marlins not a great team, but uh, you know the Rays have so many injuries and are so so thin now. Um, with now Kevin Kiermaier going out, and uh, of course they don't have Ramos right now. So that Javaria's hurt right now. Yeah, so it was it was rough for them. I mean, Matt um, Duffy had yet, back spasms for a couple games, missed uh, Friday and Saturday. Yeah, all that's all that's bad. I mean, you told me Carlos Gomez at one point was playing played second, second base, base right? uh, Saturday night for a couple innings after Echeverria left the game hurt. Yeah, I mean that's when you know you you, you got it going and it's not going the right direction. Um, so having said all that, despite losing a couple games to the Marlins, what a game on Sunday! Uh, these guys were down four to two, and uh, they're down four to one entering the ninth. Four to one entering the ninth, they get a really scratch for a run. They load the bases with one out, and something that has never – I didn't realize this has never happened in Rays history. It happened twice against them this year mm-hmm. uh, where somebody did this to them, um, a, a different team. But uh, Daniel Robertson, who uh, came off the bench as a pinch hitter, and, of course, he plays all over outfield, infield, all of that. Um, but he got a 1-0 fastball, and he jumped all over it and launched it uh, into the left field, over the left field fence for a grand slam, gave them a 6-4 to win, walk-off grand slam – the first walk-off Grand Slam that the Rays have had in their history. How about that? Amazing. It's his second Grand Slam of the season. He had one earlier in the season in Anaheim uh, in the first inning to take a 4 nothing lead in front of a bunch of family there. 
But uh, he's been struggling lately. He said, in, you know, he didn't obviously play today. He was, came as a pinch hitter in the ninth inning. Uh, but he said in the cages he was uh, feeling pretty good and said, I'm going to turn this around. And boy, did he ever. You know, was, I felt good for him because I think it was Friday. The Rays rallied. They were down uh, several runs, and they got within one run. I think they had some guys on base, and Robertson wound up striking out, yep. I believe, to finish the game. Um, so it was really cool. He said, "He said, man, once I hit this thing, and it's true. If you watch, if you watch the replay, which I'm sure you'll see, great call by, um, you know, by Dave Wills, I think on. No, it was Andy Freed. Andy, uh, Andy well, Freed was on. Andy Freed was on TV. Yeah, they uh, had Andy and yeah. Dave uh, did TV this weekend. Andy did Friday and Sunday, and uh, right. uh, Dave Wills did Saturday. I heard both calls. They were both sensational, um, and they did a nice job with it. But if you watch the if you watch the replay, watch how fast. I mean, Robertson does like Pete Rose around the bases. Man, he is he is flying around the bases. Well, the, the first couple steps were pretty slow. Yes, he, he flipped the bat a little bit. He knew it. He waited till yeah. it cleared, and then he took off. But then he ran. He ran like you. His hair was on fire. Um, so that was cool. So. The Rays managed to uh, to get back in the uh, in the winning ways and back over 500 again. So uh, that was good. Also, pretty interesting story if you want to go back and read it by Mark Tompkin uh, on TampaBay.com. Mark pretty much calling it out and saying, you know what, it's time to trade Chris Archer. A lot of, there's there's a lot of people that say it's been time. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and, and even Chris Archer's comments about you know look, you know he's saying he doesn't want to be traded, but if we're not going to get back to winning sooner than later, then I'm okay with being traded. I'm paraphrasing his comments, but yeah. um, I think his point was, is that, look, I'm going to be 30 mm -hmm. and, and this is probably not going to happen right away for the race. I mean, we're going to get younger, you know, he can see the writing on the wall. I mean, look, there, there's probably about five or six players they would like to trade, whether or not they can get value for them and actually pull those trades off. Um, but you can go down the line. You know, there's a, there's a number of guys starting with Archer. Well, if they can keep him healthy think, between Echeverria and Ramos yeah, and, and uh, right. Chaz Rowe. I know, right? Like, those are the guys, and, and they're all getting beat up, so that's certainly going to affect their ability to trade them. But um, but but Archer has has been that guy now, I think, for a couple of years, and he could still, on a contending team, still has, you know, plus-plus uh, fastball, a wipeout slider. I think a lot will maybe depend on how he continues to pitch before the trading deadline. Um, but there's a lot of teams that I've heard. I've heard Atlanta. I've heard Chicago, although I, I find that hard to believe a little bit. Um, you know, I, I mean, I'm sure there's teams that would love to have him down the stretch that feel like they're in contention. Uh, but it has to be the right deal because, I mean, he's a, uh, you know, salary-friendly friendly contract. He's still under control um, and still a guy that uh, typically can eat some innings until he had, um, you know, that went on the injury reserve the other day with that, that problem. Well, the good, the good um, thing about this, is, you know, is he usually eats 200 innings a year, and this year's injury isn't an arm injury. It was a core, no. core body injury. So, you know, that's one you don't expect to repeat in that, where it's not like it's an arm problem, which is really alarming with pitchers, of course. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think he will be traded. I've, I've always said this. I, I, don't, I think his second half of his career, I think he could be a guy that would go in the bullpen and be, and be effective. I don't know why people haven't considered doing that. Um, you know, John Smoltz did that for Atlanta, and, um, you know, he's in the Hall of Fame. I know he was a great starter, too. But Maybe the Rays will keep him, and he'll just become the opener. <laughs> he could do that, too. He's kind of been the opener. Goes about four innings <laughs> or so, maybe five. Gives up a couple of runs and then leaves. Um, that's sort of been his role. But, 
Yeah, we'll see if uh, we'll see if the Rays take Tompkins' advice. Topper coming strong with a column talking about. Well, you remember, like the first week of the season, he said trade everybody. So he's just you know following That's up on true. that. That's true. No one's listening to him, so he has to make sure that he gets the point across. Uh, and then finally, uh, I look. This was to me I, the one thing I like about the British Open or the Open Championship, as it was uh, in Scotland, is that it starts early in the morning in the United States. What's cool is you can get up and have the whole thing over by like one forty-five, mm-hmm. um, so you don't have to devote your entire afternoon to it. Um, but listen, Tiger Woods was in it, and when I say in it, I mean at one point. I think after the the tenth hole, he was the lone leader. I mean, he was leading this tournament by himself, and unfortunately for him, the next two holes didn't go so well. At eleven and twelve, he went bogey and then double bogey, and really, those two holes, as much as anything, probably cost him a chance to win this tournament. I mean, he was right there, Steve, and I would have never bet that on a Sunday, coming down the stretch in the back nine. The Tiger Woods would be leading a major, but there he was. Well, he finished three strokes back, and those are the three strokes he gave up. So, um, yeah, I mean, absolutely. He doesn't, you know, he pars those two holes, and it's a whole different tournament. Uh, and he was playing with Molinari, too. So, you know, mm-hmm. the Tiger effect on the crowd and that, if he does, if he continues on with the lead for more than just, you know, having the lead after the 10th hole, he continues on it for the 11th and 12th hole, and that, how that crowd becomes very different. And it's harder to play. I mean, players have talked about that Tiger effect when you're playing with him. Even if you're in the group, you know, right in front or, be- or behind him, if he's in contention, it, it plays differently and it plays on your mind differently too. And so it would have been a, a whole different, you know, last couple holes of the tournament there. No doubt, Molinari was just solid all the way through. In fact, uh, he played the final 36 holes. Imagine this at an open uh, without a single score over par. Mm-hmm. His last bogey came on the 17th hole on Friday, so that's how consistent he was. Um, I believe it was and, the lowest really, score ever for a British Open winner at Carnoustie. Uh, yeah, that's true. And the other thing is that you don't realize about this guy is just how, how hot he's been of late and how good he is. I mean, he's been on an incredible run. He won the European Open. Uh, they have the BMW PGA Championship. And then he finished second at the Italian Open. And then he won the Quicken Loans uh, and then tied for second at, at last week's John Deere. So this guy has been in it. He's understated, you know, for whatever reason – um, this was his first major, so that's that's certainly part of it. But uh, hasn't you know gotten as as much attention as Jordan Spieth and you know Rory and some of the other golfers and even some of the young guys. But uh, Molinari is very very good, and uh, he played really well. It was bad conditions. I mean this this course turned, it showed its teeth you know on Sunday because the winds were just howling and and Tiger you had trouble controlling the ball, getting him in the fairway, um, and then of course. Uh, you know, he hit it to, into the high grass a couple times when he double bogeyed. But um, it was really – when Tiger's in it, it's a totally different viewing experience, you know. Uh, you go on Twitter, you go anywhere, people are just excited to see him back in contention. And I have said I don't think he's going to win another major. Um, I wasn't sure he was going to win another tournament. I think now he could win a tournament, but I don't know about the major. I mean, to me – I don't know how I don't know how many more Steve he'll put himself in this position. I mean, he would have never, never seen himself being a contender or leading a major uh, this late um, when he came back off this back injury when the start of the year. In fact, he thought I may never play golf again. Um, so it's remarkable. He has to, he said how he has to keep things in perspective. But so for so those keeping score at home, though, Rick said Tiger would never win a tournament again before the Valspar. That's After correct. the Valspar, he'll win a major. 
After the Masters. Did I say he would win a major? Uh, or did I say you were, you, were, you were leaning that way. Okay, I was leaning major. Okay. Yeah. Then it was after the and Masters, then, he'll never win a tournament again. And now, I did say I, that. now after the British Open, now he's going to win a tournament. So just for those he keeping score at home. He, yeah, he could win a tournament, but probably not a major. So, yeah, yeah. That's good. So I've got it all covered. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I, res, I reserve my right to change my mind based on how he's playing any particular week. And right now I think he ran out of gas. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, can you see – I guess most people can see him now not just winning a tournament but actually winning a major. His game is that good. Um, and yet, and yet, when he really needed – you know, when he had the lead uh, and he needed to, you know, just be safe and, and uh, get home even at – seven under or whatever he was at the time um he couldn't do it you know he had the bad shots at the wrong time and well um, and he even he even said this week too as you know this at this part of his career and where he's at health wise and everything the british open is probably his best shot to win a major based on the way the course is set up the tournament plays and that um mm-hmm. you know him at the, the u.s open now with how long it is and that and he's not the longest ball striker anymore uh, matter of fact, you know, if you saw at the British Open, he was he was. I don't know if he took driver out more than a handful of times if he did at all. No, I mean no, he was he taking couldn't. irons out on almost every hole. Um, but the the way it sets up is that in, in where he's at in his career that the Open Championships his best shot at, at winning a major, and and he finished tied for sixth, uh, three shots off the lead in this one. So um, that lived up to that, and he said that this week. So. Well, it's pretty clear the one thing that I'll say about Tiger that, I, and he has said it, is that I think he's enjoying playing. You know, I think, I think he totally has a different perspective is a hell of a thing, right? As you get older, you realize what, what matters in life. Uh, his kids were there, you know. I think um, it was cool to see them greet him after his round. And um, just I think he enjoys being a golfer again. I, I, I know he wants to win, and you can see the competitive streak, and you see some of his swag come back. He putted extremely well. I mean, he really, he really was great around the greens, but, um, but I think you know he's not the sullen sort of type. Although, did you see? Did I mean, was it the seventeenth one of the late the finishing holes? Somebody really yelled loudly on his backswing. I mean, it worked out. He ended up kind of hitting it on the fringe of the fairway. I'm not sure he would want to tee it up again, but um, I don't know. There's not really a penalty for that or a punishment for that, except for the fan, of course, who yelled. But this is what's hard about playing with Tiger. And, I mean, if you think of all these young golfers and, and what how old they were, three, four, five years old when Tiger was in his prime and winning all those majors, but that's the reason a lot of them play golf and a lot of them try to, um, you know, grew up Tiger Woods fans. And, uh, unfortunately, no one has seen Tiger at his best out there. You know what I mean? Uh, the Jordan Spieths and all these guys that have played with him haven't really seen him at his best. But he was pretty darn good this week. Uh, in this weekend. So, uh, you know, I know Molinari was complaining, not complaining, but saying it's a different dynamic when you see the crowds and the noise and the commotion that, that playing with him on a Sunday brings. So you got to credit Molinari with being able to handle all that distraction. So busy week starting today. We got the Bucks rookies reporting to training camp. Football is back. It's back and better than ever. And then, of course, the full squad shows up on Wednesday, first practice on Thursday. This is an orientation uh, for the rookies, they'll be able to kind of, you know, see how much they remembered or if any of them bothered to look at their playbook during their five or six weeks off. Um, so that's always exciting. So we are into the NFL season. And then the race, get the evil empire, the Yankees coming to town. It's going to be Hunter Wood as the opener. I guess then he'll turn it over maybe to Matt Andrees against Luis Severino. 
with the Yankees in that uh, three-game series. So, you know, the Rays tend to play uh, play up to their competition when they uh, when they battle the Yankees. And, of course, I think they swept them the last time, didn't they, Steve, when they were in town? They did. That was part of that 8-1 and one homestand against the yeah. uh, Yankees, Nationals, and Astros. So that that's as impressive a streak as they've had all year. So let's see if they can keep their one win in a row going here after that exciting uh, walk-off uh, against the Marlins. So uh, we've got a lot to talk about this week. We'll have a lot of sound for you, of course, as we get into the week with uh, the Bucks and their training camp. Football is back, and, and uh, that's going to dominate, I'm sure, a lot of the conversation. As always, though, we like your feedback. We love your questions. We can answer those. I don't know whether we'll have a mailbag segment this week. We could. Um, we'll certainly probably we try should. to talk to Tom Jones as well. We should do one. Yeah, I think so. There'll be more questions about the rookies reporting, about the veterans, um, and I'll have all of that and anything for the Rays, the Lightning, um, the Bucks. Uh, we're here to answer all those questions as well as college football. Uh, so whatever you got, you can reach us on Twitter at SportsDayTB. Uh, you can reach me on Twitter as well at NFL Stroud, or you can email me at rstroud at tampabay.com. As always, in addition to your feedback, we'd love for you to rate and review this podcast, Steve, and where can you do that? Anywhere you get podcasts, whether you're subscribing through iTunes, maybe it's Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, just uh, search for Sports Day Tampa Bay, hit subscribe button so it downloads to your mobile device automatically every day, and then uh, leave comments there or like it, or better yet, share it with someone else, and that always helps us out. We appreciate it. One of the best Mondays of the year. Football is back, NFL training camp all throughout the league. You're going to love seeing the reports, and we'll have that for you on TampaBay.com as well. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times for Steve Versnick. Have a great Monday, everybody. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 